Welcome in. It is another episode of the Crawford Talks as we await, hopefully, the start, the return of baseball during this global pandemic. Jake, I'm really looking forward to it. And by the way, Jake Kaplan, obviously the Astros beat writer for The Athletic. I'm Mike Meltzer. We're going to do something a little bit different here and go into the past, but like the very recent past. And Jake, I am looking forward to this episode because we're going to go through the top five most controversial Astros decisions of the last five years in the non-sign stealing category. And what we'll do is we're going to talk about these and then we're going to rank these at the end. So I feel like this is up both of our alleys. Like if we were talking about 1960s baseball, I might struggle because I have to like, you know, basically do a ton of research beforehand. But this I feel like is really in our wheelhouse. Yeah, this should be uh, interesting. I think we'll probably have some disagreement here and there. And obviously, to reiterate what you alluded to, um, obviously the decision to cheat is would be number one in any uh, of these type of discussions. But this is um, we're not including the sign stealing because that would just be far and away most controversial decision made by the Astros in the last five years. So uh, we are limiting it to the non-sign stealing category and there's plenty to go around uh that isn't sign stealing in this conversation as well yes so we went through and and here are the parameters this is the last five years so this is going to be 2015 16 17 18 19 so basically the years where aj hinch was the manager uh and i know jeff luno was the manager was the gm before that also but like these five years that's kind of the the contention years the contention eaters, exactly. So we're in, you know we're including a couple of playoff trips, World Series, AL pennants, all that kind of stuff. These five years, so that's those are the parameters. So if people tweet us or Facebook us, you know I know there might be decisions that were made in 2012 that doesn't count for the purposes of this specific episode. So let's dive in. The most controversial decisions by the Astros, non uh, sign stealing category uh, in the last five seasons. We're gonna start with something that for me came out of nowhere. I don't know what it was like for Jake, but the trade for Roberto Osuna at the 2018 trade deadline, it happened on that day, on July 30th, July 31st, uh, 2018. I wasn't expecting it. It did seem like Ken Giles, who was the closer to the time, was on his way out. But the Astros, uh, first of all, Jake, I didn't even know Osuna was on the market when when they made that move. Yeah, I remember, um, I'm trying to look up right now the exact date that it happened. It was a day or two before the deadline. Um, It was, bear with me here, July 30th. So it was the day before the deadline. The Astros were in Seattle. I remember I was eating lunch at some random restaurant by my hotel in Seattle, um, looking at Twitter, and Ken Rosenthal broke the trade news of the trade on Twitter. And I remember thinking, like, I didn't even know that was like a thing that could happen right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because he was still suspended uh, under the domestic violence policy for 75 games. It was near the end of the suspension, but I just didn't even like consider that you could be traded during a domestic violence suspension. So, yeah, that came out of nowhere for me as well. I think for everybody. And uh, I think that's the most obvious controversial decision here. Um in this non-sign stealing discussion. And really you could say the beginning of the end for Jeff Luno, um, looking back based off of how it ended, that seemed like when things really started to, you could, you could pinpoint that decision um, as kind of a turning point in some ways. 
I think so too, especially with the benefit of hindsight and what ended up happening the next year and a half, particularly with the, the scandal, obviously. But one thing that intrigues me about this, and I've had mixed reaction, Jake, when I've made this point to people, but it's interesting that they made that move in 2018 after they won the World Series. This was not a team that was desperate uh, to win. They had never won before. They had literally won at the highest level the year before, and they were making the kind of move that you would think a completely desperate organization would make. I understand that it, it kind of can cut both ways because you can take the other approach and say, well, hey, these are this is you know a management team that had won a World Series, therefore they can do more of the things they want, especially if they don't really care about what the public reaction is going to be. But I would just kind of think that it, the good thing if you're an, if you're an organization and you won a championship, you don't have to make moves based on any level of desperation or this is our only chance, like maybe the Cubs arguably did the year before when they made a trade for Araldus Chapman that ended up working out for them in 2016. Yeah, I there was even now looking back a year and a half later, almost two years later, actually. I uh, can't believe it's already May 7th um, of 2020. Yep. Yeah, I still don't <laughs> understand there's really no logic that's going to make sense to me for from a moral standpoint of this trade. And that's never I don't think that's ever going to change, in my opinion. So, um, you know, Jeff Luno used um, a domestic violence case basically to buy low on Roberto Osuna. And that is what happened. So I, I just don't uh, you yeah. know, I think it and the Astros also didn't have any real explanation for it at the time. They said they had a zero tolerance policy, which doesn't make any sense when when they clearly didn't. So, um, yeah, it was it, it still is mind boggling that it happened uh, and that they is something that did that, that they did uh, while he was still suspended. And um, yeah, it's one of those decisions where a lot of these you, you, you feel differently at the time than you do down the road. Um, I think in, in some of these cases, we will feel that way where, where our opinions changed. But in this case, uh, my opinion has not changed. Well, and also let's talk, Jake, about I, I know that we're focusing at the time of the Osuna trade. But if we if we move the, sh the focus over a little bit to the fallout, Osuna has been how do we term this? A pretty good closer, but this is not bit they did not upgrade to some dominant closer by vert and, and this is proven by a couple of playoff performances that he had in the ALCS against the Red Sox in 18. And the fact that when he came into game seven of the 2019 World Series, he wasn't really able to get the job done either. It's not like they went from Ken Giles exile and oh well they actually solved the issue. They haven't really fully solved the issue. He has not been even their best reliever. For me, even if he was the second coming of Mariano Rivera, it still would be um, immoral, right? Like it doesn't, the outcome doesn't matter from that standpoint. Um, but you're right. He has not been, I'd say he's been good, but not great. Um, he's been, he his perform his command is not the same as it was pre-suspension when he was with the Blue Jays. Um, yes. For whatever reason, I'm not really sure why. Um, at the time, Ken Giles had been demoted to AAA and Hector Rondon was their closer and he was actually pitching really well. He, he struggled after that. Um, they didn't have like a, I mean, obviously like, like you said earlier, like, um, it wasn't, yeah, they just, they didn't, they, they could have used a closer obviously, but they didn't have like this dire need at the time. Um, 
and it was one of many trades they were discussing. You know, that was the same deadline as the the Bryce Harper trade that fell through. Fell through. Mm-hmm. There was a Tommy Pham trade that fell through. Um, they had just gotten Presley right a few days before. Um, they had yes, Maldonado a few days before. So they were they were pretty active that deadline. But uh, yeah, I don't even like I said. Even if he had been Mariano Rivera, the second coming, it's still um, immoral to use uh, a domestic violence suspension to to buy low on on a player. Let me let me ask you this: How do you like this? This and I don't want to put you in an uncomfortable spot, but I, I always struggle with, with domestic violence uh, because obviously it's a horrible thing, and yet there are guys there are guys in baseball who have been accused of it, whether you know found guilty or not. And finding guilt in those situations from a prosecutor prosecutor standpoint is brutal, obviously. Uh, what about the Yankees and the Cubs and how they've dealt with Chapman, who who has had now they haven't bought low on Chapman. But how do you feel about that in your mind, Jake? Um, I don't know. I don't really like engage in all the whatabouts in these cases. Like it's, it's, you know, I, I don't know. It's kind of a cop out answer, but like I haven't thought about. No, it's those not. It's not, it's not a cop out <laughs> at the extent that I've thought about this one because this is the team I cover. Um, you know, I think the big difference, I guess, would be that Osuna was still serving the suspension. And his case was still, you know, not resolved. Pending. Yeah. Yep. That's probably the biggest difference. Um, but again, I haven't studied the other the other cases as closely. Um, you know, in, in any like my least favorite thing in sports is the whatabouts. You know, honestly, and there's been a ton of that with the sign stealing uh, scandal. But um, yeah, I just I don't know. I, I think in the Astros case, um, they didn't have to do this. They made a decision to do this. Moving ahead to a decision that was super controversial at the time and in the aftermath, the decision to leave Garrett Cole in the bullpen during all of Game 7 of the 2019 World Series against the Nationals, obviously a game that the Astros ended up losing. Nationals win the World Series. He had warmed up a few times. A few days later, A.J. Hinch gave a full explanation to the media. You know, I brought in uh, Harris. I brought in Osuna. Um, if we had regained the lead or gotten a tie, Garrett was going to go in for potentially the ninth or 10th, and that never came to be. So the early part of the game when he was warming up was on his own. He wanted to, he wanted to throw off the mound. The latter part of, the, of it was, was kind of dictating on how the game was going to turn, and we wanted to make sure that he had ample opportunity to warm up. The debate, which I, I know and I knew going in was going to – it was the first question I got at the press conference that day – was how effective he was going to be on two days rest. Three weeks ago, I got a ton of questions about JV on three days rest um, and the debate that comes with that. So one less day, uh, I wanted to see, we had to make a decision on whether regular relievers who'd been elite during the World Series on rested guys were going to be a better option than, than Garrett, and we all know how it played out. Jake, that explanation made sense to me, and I know that a lot of people in our audience are going to disagree. I did not have a huge issue with Hinch leaving Cole in the bullpen. This is my general philosophy on the baseball postseason based on roughly 25 years in my life watching Major League Baseball. Uh, my, My belief is... I want to avoid guys on short rest. Uh, I want to avoid guys on rest, short rest 
particularly in this case, that they've never actually pitched under. And I always lean towards taking the pitcher out early in a big playoff spot as opposed to too late. Uh, that's why I don't really blame AJ for taking Granky out uh, after the Rendon and then after the Rendon home run and then Soto gets on base in the seventh inning when they were uh, leading. I don't blame him for that. And Garrett Cole was off of two days rest in that situation. He has never pitched off of two days rest. If this was a different situation, three days rest, that to me would have made a, a huge difference in my mind. I, I have just never been convinced at all that Garrett Cole was going to be the silver bullet to win game seven. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's, I think I have a lot of thoughts about this actually. So I'll try to be coherent here. Um, and also, <laughs> I would, um, uh, I did a QA with AJ Hinch the same day he gave this explanation. Uh, he went more in depth on this decision and other decisions. He really went through every decision point of the latter innings of that game in a QA on the athletic um, that ran November 1st, 2019. So if, if you want more on this, go check that out. It actually turned out to be the last time I interviewed him, I believe. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, first of all, the reason they lost that game is because they could not take advantage of their opportunities against Max Scherzer early in the game, right? Agreed. And I think that gets lost a little bit. Like, they should have been up by several runs early in that game. Um, I thought that Garrett Cole should have pitched at some point in that game. I think leaving him in the bullpen, uh, I thought at the time, was the wrong decision. But I understand the thinking. Uh, clearly, they had gone into the game... As managers and starters often agree upon that, I think, at least in recent years, that like starters going in mid-inning uh, for relief appearance is not something that anyone yeah. wants. So if you if you start with that as the premise, so like Garrett Cole was not coming in in the middle of the inning uh, when Grinky after Grinky gave up the homer to Rendon, um, then it's a little more understandable, but I still think he should have pitched over Osuna after, you know, in the, the start of the next, one of the next two innings. Um, okay. Just to keep it, you know, you're already down. That makes sense. To keep, keep the score where it is. You still have a couple more chances to, to score. But I also, I get the, the argument. He's only on two days rest. I don't know if he'd ever even pitched on three days of rest before. And You're right. Um, and Harris had been really good. I think maybe you, they, Harris had given up a homer the night before, right? To Rendon, was it? Uh, if I remember yes. correctly, so maybe you, you know, you're giving them too many looks at him. But he also threw a good pitch to Kendrick. If you know, it was where they wanted to pitch the, the cutter down and away that Kendrick, you know, the numbers said didn't handle well generally. So I don't know. Sometimes, sometimes uh, you just get beat. I think. Well, there are a couple of things. I, I agree with you. There, there are so many angles to this because there's the seventh inning and then there's really the eighth inning. I mean, by the time you're in the, you're in the ninth, the, the game, I mean, it, it felt like it was basically over. Just the, I know momentum's not like a real thing, but that's how it kind of felt to me. So in this, let's start with the seventh inning. There's a lot of criticism of A.J. Hinch for taking Zach Ranking out early. Well, if that is the criticism, then... Here, to me, the idea of them pulling Granky after the way he pitched for six innings and putting in Cole would have been uh, that that to me would have been bizarrely arbitrary. I don't think that 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 to me would not have been a real consideration. Number one. So you go into the seventh. Granky gets an out home run walk to Soto. Then 
as you mentioned, Jake, I am not going to bring in Garrett Cole in the middle of an inning off of two days rest. Like he's not he's not a major league reliever. Uh, he is one of the best starting pitchers in baseball, but he has not ever been in that situation. And particularly in maybe the highest lever scenario you can get, which is pitching in relief in game seven of the World Series. The best argument for bringing Garrett Cole is when they go into the eighth and they're down three to two Mm -hmm. to bring in Cole, as you mentioned, to hold them down. That to me is the best argument. uh, The best argument about Garrett Cole is why not at that stage go to Garrett Cole down three, two and try to squeeze out as many outs as possible with him. That what I can roll with. Yeah, that's kind of my feeling. I I mean, ultimately, clearly AJ Hinch viewed going into that game viewed Will Harris Roberto Osuna and Joe Smith as better options than two days rest Garrett Cole. And you could argue that. You could argue that. And we'll never be able to prove one way or the other, right? Like, who knows what Garrett Cole would have done. I also think it was interesting. Like, Cole went down to the bullpen so early in that game and started playing catch. And I, I, I was in the press box, but I assume on TV they showed that constantly. And I think they did, yeah. He wasn't really like warming up, warming up until way later. Like I, I remember him like being in front of the rubber for like innings. It seemed like <laughs> just playing catch, and I think that gave off like this perception that he was warming up to get come in when he was just kind of warming up to get loose because he had never done this before on his own. And I don't know. I th- I wonder how that skewed our our feelings on it in a way because. You know, he didn't really start getting hot until later. Um, I'm not, I can't remember exactly when, but like, I don't know. I assume they were showing that on TV constantly. Here's Garrett Cole in the bullpen warming up to come in. And then he never came in. And it just had, it was just like this visual of like, what are they doing? Yeah, I think another thing that that really hurt them in that situation is just the fact that Harris wasn't really able to. I don't think Harris got an out in Game Seven, uh, and and so you weren't. It wasn't like okay, gives up the home run to Kendrick, you know, gets two more outs. Okay, down three two, you you reset yourself. No, you had to bring in Osuna in that inning, and then I can kind of see where AJ has a decision to make with what we're talking about, Jake, right now. Okay, do I keep? throwing out my closer who's been good this season or do I bring in Garrett Cole in the eighth again I think it's the best argument but because Hinch had to bring in Osuna in that seventh inning I can see where that complicates the decision Um, I mean if I'm AJ ultimately like you use all of your best relievers in game seven none of them really came through whatsoever and without exaggeration the home run by Howie Kendrick, if you look at the analytics and the, and the numbers and where the pitch was and where he hit it, probably one of the most miraculous home runs in the history of Major League Baseball and certainly one of the most significant when it comes to swinging the odds of a championship. It, it's it's really up there at that level. Yeah, for sure. Um, one, one argument I heard at the time that was interesting to me, and I think most Astros fans would probably not subscribe to this, would... You know, just pulling Granky after six and starting the seventh with Cole. Um, I hate it. Yeah. Hate it. <laughs> I, I see the logic in it if you want to be really strict about the third time through the order stuff with starters and, you know, um, pull pre, you know, r- managers would always rather pull a starter too early than too late. But Granky was so good up until that point that I think that would have been, he, I think that would have been received um, poorly 
by the Astros fan base had A.J. Hinch gone that route. Although it's hard to argue bringing in Garrett Cole because he had just been so good in his last game. But I also think we have to remember that Garrett Cole was not good in game one, right? He was not. Um, yes. It's not like he. it was an automatic that he and that was on full rest. So it's not like it was an automatic that had he come in, he would have been dominant. I agree with you. I also think that like, you know, the way I look at these games is you get deep into these games and that seventh inning is, is to me, okay, get these three outs. Then you can kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel and they just weren't able to get to that stage. Okay. Most controversial decisions of the last five years, letting Charlie Morton leave for the Rays after the 2018 season. So this didn't surprise me, Jake, but it turned out to be, depending on how the butterfly effect moves with this one moving forward, it'll be interesting to kind of analyze. Uh, But clearly the Astros felt, Jake, like they had maximized Charlie Morton, and they have turned out to be wrong on that point because Charlie Morton has been really good for the Rays over the last two years. Well, just the one year so far. Uh, we'll see if he gets it. A- Sorry, just the one year. I, I, I'm an idiot. I, I, I have lost my years. I'm going to blame the quarantine. Yeah, that's fair. That's <laughs> fair. Um, yeah. It's all in the quarantine. This, this decision is a great what if because, you know, if they had re-signed Charlie Morton and he has similar success to what he did with the Rays uh, with the Astros in 2019, then they don't trade for Zach Greinke, So And they have all these prospects still. Um, and more payroll flexibility. So, yeah, I think um, I wasn't surprised at the time either. Uh, just how the Astros operate, they rarely re-sign their free agents because they, like you said, they they it's all value-based and numbers-based and efficiency-based. And they think if they think they got the, you know, the, the optimal value out of someone at the price they liked and, you know, they're pretty... Uh, that's disciplined and, and corporate with their decisions in that respect, or at least were under Jeff Luno. Uh, so it didn't surprise me. Um, and he kind of sputtered down the stretch in 2018. Uh, was in, he did. was injured. I mean, I think obviously in retrospect, they should have resigned him and they at the very least should have made like competitive offer, which, which, you know, from everything I've heard, they, they did not even, weren't even close to the raise. Um, but, yeah, and it's going to be fascinating to um, dissect based on, you know, how Greinke's Astros career goes and how Morton's, you know, how many more years he pitches for the Rays and, and really everything involved. Yeah, that's true. I mean, th- this is one that could look better, could look worse. If they restart baseball, if the Astros win the World Series and Greinke would theoretically pay, play a big role in that, then this is not a big deal. If there is no season or if they just, you know, don't do well in don't do well this season in whatever kind of season we're going to have and Charlie Morton keeps pitching well and then some of the prospects that Jeff Luno gave up for Zach Greinke turn out to be pretty good during the same timeline when the Astros farm system is going to need that kind of help, the major league team would need that kind of help. Then this move is going to, then this move is going to look worse. So I think with this one, how the next two years plays out is going to be a factor in how we look at this in hindsight. Yeah. Right now it looks, it looks pretty bad though. Um, But we'll see. I think, uh, you know, you got to let these things play out sometimes. It isn't a fascinating what if though. And it's one that I hear about, often from fans on Twitter and in, in the comment sections of stories when I do mailbags, etc. It's, it's, you know, especially because of how beloved Charlie Morton is for getting the last outs yep. of, of 
game seven of the 2017 world series it it you know it, it's understandable that there is the uh you know attachment there and he he's also like one of the best people so i think you know any anyone would have been uh you know anyone in the astros clubhouse would have been happy to see him resigned last thing real quick if you had to pin i, I know the money is obviously the biggest factor if you had to pinpoint jake the reason why any Anything related to his performance, why Jeff Luno chose not to pursue more aggressively? Would it be more the idea that they had kind of maximized what they could get, or was it the injuries? If you could like limit it to one, which one do you think would carry more weight? You know, I'm not sure. Um, I think they kind of go hand in hand, right? When you're evaluating what you want to, how much you want to value a player in the open market, you look at all of those things and, you know, age, injury history, performance. Um, you know, obviously the original contract what was it two years, 14 million, um, was yep. like an incredible, that incredible was. value. Whew. Um, and you know, they would have had to have basically doubled it, which is pretty reasonable given his performance. Uh, I would say extremely reasonable given his performance, but, I but they didn't, you know, they didn't want to do that. They didn't, I'm not even sure they were willing to go the second year, uh, guaranteed. So like it's, um, you know, it's just kind of how they operated under under Jeff Luno. They were very, you know, disciplined with their um, valuations and how much they were willing to offer people. And, um, you know, in the few occasions they went off script, I would argue like the Verlander trade or um, the Greinke trade was probably kind of off script. It seemed... Um, it, it seemed like it, it was the smart play at the time. And obviously in the Verlander case, it was um, definitely. But they also, I think, I think it seems like those were also, um, you know, like those are the the big decisions when ownership's also involved. And like, we know that Crane had a role yes. in the Verlander trade. We know that Crane had a role in the Grinky trade. So like, I don't know, it's, it's sometimes they did go a little off to that, off of that, um, that mindset of being, uh, super disciplined with their with their approach uh, in in that respect, and it worked out for them. So I don't know. You could definitely debate the the logic in 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 letting Morton leave after the 2018 season. Speaking of the Verlander trade, before that trade went down, exactly a month before the trade, the Astros in 2017 did basically nothing at that trade deadline, the initial trade deadline, and the only move that they really made was trading for Francisco Liriano. So not making a big splash, not making a big move at the original July 31st, 2017 trade deadline. Here was Dallas Keuchel memorably giving his thoughts in the Astros clubhouse after that, I guess, didn't go down. I mean, I'm not going to lie, disappointment is a little bit of, a, of an understatement. I, I feel like a bunch of teams really bolstered their their rosters for the for the long haul and for uh, uh, huge playoff push and us just kind of staying pat was really was really disappointing to myself I know a lot of the guys feel like we can win in here and and that's that's a pretty accurate statement and that's why we built such a great lead but um, I think when it comes down to it it's it's now it's going to be uh we're going to win for each other and uh that's it I love the first part of the quote, Jake, and I love the last part of the quote because the, the first part was the one that got the headlines. Disappointment is an understatement. And the last part was basically like, screw you, front office. Like, this is about the players, and that's that's how we're going to we're gonna operate uh, moving forward for the rest of, uh, rest of 2017. It's always interesting to me when 
baseball players are asked around the trade deadline when they're on a good team, what their thoughts are, what their expectations are. Because if you're making a trade for somebody, that means somebody on your team is is kind of losing their job or at the very least losing their spot mm-hmm. uh, in the show. And so you have to, I think, kind of, you know, you kind of have to thread the needle a little bit on those. Uh, but... That was the overwhelming sentiment in the city. This team was excellent even before they ended up with Justin Verlander in 2017. Uh, and, they ended, and, and August was not a good month for them. They were kind of sputtering at that stage. I don't know if they were quite at the trade deadline at that stage, but the sense was like, unlike 2015, that was more of an upstart surprise. This is a team that had gotten Brian McCann, gotten Josh Reddick, signed Carlos Beltran. This is a team that was, you know, ready for bear. This was a team people legitimately thought could win the World Series. How in the world, after making some moves in 2015, do you sit there and only add a left-handed reliever? People were people were really pissed when this happened in 2017. Yeah, and even the left-handed reliever, Francisco Liriano, was you know, a struggling starter at the time in Toronto. (laughs) And it was, they were projecting that he (laughs) would be a good reliever, which he wasn't. Although he did get uh, an important out in game seven of the World Series. Um, Yes, he did. (laughs) Yeah. And this, it's also important to remember at the time, this came a year after the Astros didn't do anything at the 2016 trade deadline, which was a little more understandable looking back because they, they were not as good that year. They were still in it, though, and the Rangers, you'll recall, loaded up in the 2016 deadline. Yep. The Astros. Luke Roy. Um, Luke Roy, Beltran. Um, I'm missing someone else, too. Um, but those are the main two, yeah. People were not happy in Houston either at yeah, that time. Yeah, and, and the Astros were still in it at that point, um, at least for the wild card. Uh, and um, so they're, they're coming off that. Of course, you know, looking back, they did get Jordan Alvarez at that at that trade deadline. But, you know, it's hard to uh, get too excited about a, you know, a, a someone who's never played a professional game at that point. If you're <laughs> Dallas Keuchel yeah. or one of the, you know, current Astros um, in 2016. So, yeah, it was a second straight deadline where they didn't do anything really. And they were really good in 2017 and they needed help because Keiko was coming off the DL. Um, I think McCullers was going on the DL like that day or the next day, if I recall. Um, and I might be getting my years mixed up, but I'm pretty sure that's the case. Well, no, I I think as I recall, Jake, I think I don't know why I remember this because I, I remember specifically what bar I was at in Houston when this happened. I think they were on the trip to L.A. where Lance got hurt. And I want to say this was like August 2nd or 3rd. No, that was 20. So it wasn't quite... Oh, was it 2018? Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm the idiot. Then. Yeah, his uh, his injury at Dodger Stadium was like August 3rd, 2018. But that's right. Yes, because it, because that's right. Because he had come back and then pitch in relief in the playoffs. Yeah, 2017 yes. was the back. It's it's hard to keep track, but yeah, the 2017 was the back issue. And it was like, all right, here, you know what I'm doing? You know what I'm doing after this? I, I'm researching like vitamin supplements for memory because I am not happy with myself <laughs> between the Morton thing and the Lance screw up. I am not pleased with my memory right now. Yeah, <laughs> it's okay. I forgive you. But um, yeah, I remember like there was Lance McCullers talking in the media like shortly after the deadline. It was either that day or the day after, and they were going, he was going in the DL. And it was just like they didn't get a starter. And um, it was just added to everything. Um, so, yeah, that was pretty controversial well, at the time. That was the Zach Britton, the failed Zach Britton trade. Yes. Uh, although he's not a starter. 
um, obviously. Yeah, that was, and I remember that was like the, I was flying back from Cooperstown that morning from the Jeff Bagwell induction. I remember it was a long, long day. Um, I was very tired writing that story, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I, that was definitely, I mean, obviously they kind of erased it because of the Verlander trade a month later, but at the time that was a huge deal. Jake, were you in the clubhouse when Keiko was speaking that day? No, so he didn't speak until the next day or two days later. Okay. And that was, I was like, I remember coming off of the induction in Cooperstown, all the travel and the trade deadline coverage. I had a day off or at least a day away from the park. And um, yeah, so when Keiko made those comments, I remember I think Brian McTaggart, uh, or I know Brian McTaggart from Emily.com was the one who who got that interview and put the video up. I remember seeing that and I was like, wow. So uh, it was a couple days later when he made those comments, but um, pretty strong to hear that in 2017 uh, by a yes. player. I think in the in the old days that would have been pretty normal, but you, you know, unfortunately, we don't hear that that type of uh, front office bashing publicly anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We, we all want more. Uh, we all I, want I, more uh, candor in our life. So if any players want to want to offer more thoughts like that, let, please do. I mean, I, I do think this, though, and, and I'm serious on this point. I, I think that there is a certain value in having a guy like Keuchel in your clubhouse. In this case, we're talking about a baseball team, but it could be a football, basketball. Someone who has the kind of stature and performance on the field where he can say things and he has a little bit of you know stability and staying power. Uh, because I, I, I do wonder, Jake, if that puts some pressure on a front office again in this case major league baseball but it could be in any sport like i i respect keichel's willingness to say that and he was a guy who over the course of his career was generally pretty willing to say what was on his mind yeah he he is a straight shooter uh which us in the media always appreciated and it's interesting that you think a month later when the Verlander um, stuff is going down, they had him call Verlander to try to talk him into accepting That's waiving right. the no trade. So um, a pretty big month there for Dallas Keuchel, uh putting pressure on the front office and then helping with the Verlander trade uh, in his own way. Um, I, it's funny. My memories of that deadline are interesting, too, because I remember um, people on Twitter constantly asking me if they were going to trade for Verlander in July and Verlander's yeah. ERA was pretty high at that time. And between that and the contract, the money he was owed, I kept saying, no, I don't think so. Um, and this is July of 2017. Uh, I, I kept kind of poo-pooing the Verlander possibility. And then, you know, a couple year, a couple years later, I'm getting old takes exposed on Twitter, uh, people who are finding the tweets and whatnot. And I'm like, that was July, not August. But wait. Wait, they were sending your tweets to Old Takes Exposed? Yeah, like, re- not even tweets, like, replies to people, like, just saying, like, no, I don't <laughs> think they're going to trade for Verlander, and, uh... You, you should, that, that that should be, like, a like a badge of honor for you, that people were actually sending that to Old Takes Exposed. Yeah, but it, it was kind of out of context, because I was... No, they're it wrong. It was in July. They're I wrong. mean, like, I they didn't trade for him in July. But I, to, to to be honest, I didn't think they were going to trade for him in August either. That was that was a complete shock to me at I the agree. time. So, uh, kind of funny memories related to that for sure. 
Yeah, and, and I wish in hindsight that I had been more on the Verlander thing and tracking what he was doing in August and, and realized, I, like I should have realized earlier, I know it's easy to say now, that hey, this is a guy that they should have made a move for because of the fact that he was kind of slowly improving that season. Okay, one more. Service time manipulation. And we're going to combine a couple things that have happened. One, at the start of this time period, one towards the end. Car, uh, service time manipulation. The GM, Jeff Luno, and just overall the management. So leaving Carlos Correa in the minor leagues in 2015 for a while. And last season in 2019, leaving Jordan Alvarez in the minors. As I recall, and tell me if I'm wrong about this, Jake, I think the Alvarez one was more controversial at the time, I believe, just because 2015, there were good feelings. They got up to a good start. Correa was so young that we weren't exactly sure what he was going to be yet as far as immediate impact. Last year, it was like, my God, this Alvarez is putting up unbelievable numbers in the minors. Why is he not, why is he not up with the big club and in the lineup every single day? Yeah, I'm not sure. I, th- I do think at the time in 2015, Evan Drellick at the Houston Chronicle um, at the time was writing a fair amount about Correa and, and posing the question of, you know, if he can help them, are they making a mistake by leaving him in the minors just so they save some, some money down the road? Um, so it was definitely a topic. I was covering the Phillies at the time, so I don't remember like the ex- I don't remember the extent of it, but um, it was definitely a topic. Uh, you'll remember Correa didn't, didn't debut until June, which is after the Super Two deadline, so they saved money. Uh, same with Alvarez this past year. I think in Alvarez's case this past year, um, Tyler White was just performing so poorly at DH that it was just like it was kind of just like. What what does it need to what needs to happen for Alvarez to like replace Tyler <laughs> White? And it was it was strictly service time manipulation. So um, they kept saying his defense needs to improve, but then when they brought him up, he didn't play any defense. So um, <laughs> yeah. In Correa's case, though, like you got to wonder if they win the division if if he comes up earlier. Um, Alvarez's case, I don't think the outcome of the season's any different because they were going to win the AL West either way. So. Uh, obviously important to note that, you know, the Astros are far from the only team that does this. Um, but, but not yeah. every team does this. Well, the Cubs, I mean, the, the, the Cubs, they, they did it with Chris Bryant and that one was taken to arbitration during this off season. And the Cubs actually won their case against Chris Bryant. I want to say in February doing essentially Jake, the exact same thing. Yeah. In Bryant's case and in Springer's case, um, it was, about the year of control, which if teams bring up a guy a couple weeks into the season, they gain an extra year of control. In yep. Alvarez and Correa's case, it was the control doesn't matter; it's the money, and they're they're saving themselves arbitration money down the road, years down the road. Okay, good point. Um, good if point. they wait until when they waited, and um, so that's the difference, but. You know, the Mets this past year let Pete Alonso make the opening day roster and he hit how 50 something home runs, right? So, like, not every team does this. And uh, in a discussion about the Astros' controversial decisions, I think um, you have to remember how much, how obvious it was at, those, at the time that Correa was ready and this past year that Alvarez was ready. You know, I'll, I'll admit on this one, I was. I was a little bit late with the Correa thing because I, I, I mean, 
from a prospect standpoint, I knew once they picked him, okay, this is a guy who, when they pick, he was 17 years old. He was a massive talent. I understood that. But at, I'm usually cautious, Jake, philosophically with guys who are that young. So I was thinking, like, man, you know, this guy had been picked a few years earlier. He's 20 years old. Like, how much is he going to help them right now? I, I was completely wrong about that. Uh, and in hindsight, this was the more damaging move to leave Correa uh, in the minors in 2015 because this is somebody who slugged 512 that season as a 20 year old. Um, and I, his wins above replacement, at least on baseball reference, 4.8. So you imagine what, games? if you had got. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So you're, yeah, 99 games technically. And so if you were able to get those extra, even even 20 or, or 30 games, there's a realistic chance they would have flat out won the AL West over the Rangers just by having Correa for that extra time. That was the more damaging mistake. Or I, I guess, I, I, I don't know if I should say mistake because like they knew exactly what they were doing. It was the more damaging move. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's the one that... Um that sticks out in terms of the outcome would have been different um, in terms of the the season. But uh, yeah, I, I hope that in the next CBA, they address this whole service time stuff. Cause it's, it's pretty I agree. annoying. Um, should we rank these? What do, what do you think is the most controversial? I mean, Osuna is the most controversial, right? Like there's no real debate and I'm not even sure how controversial it is because controversy entails like a disagreement and everyone outside of the Astros was pretty unanimous that on which side of the fence they were on on that one. Um, but I still think for this, uh, it's got to be number the most controversial, right? You know what? I'm going to disagree, Jake. I'm going to go with leaving Cole in the bullpen in game seven of the World Series. Now, it's not, again, it, this is not me speaking because I didn't really have an issue with what Hinch did. Um, and part of it is because of just the highest leverage moment. Did it cost them a World Series championship? I think the Cole one at the moment was more controversial because I'm not, I, and I'm speaking as someone who like again you know you know sports talk radio like can be an interesting place but I think a lot of people I remember the next morning when I had to flip out and <laughs> cost my co-host the time to leave the studio over this whole thing uh, which was a mistake on my part uh, but. Though I know how these things work, but when a trade is so controversial and people are against it for obvious and good reasons, there are a lot of fans who I think are driving that morning who are like, man, this guy might be a terrible human being, but like he can help us win. I, I think a lot of people, unfortunately, have that mentality. So I'm going to actually, I'm going to go Cole number one for me, and I'll put Osuna uh, number two with three uh, not making a move at the trade deadline in 2017, which, by the way, is like a pretty good contender as number three because that one was discussed for a long time afterwards. So I would, so me personally, I'm going to go one, two, three. I'm going to go Cole bullpen game seven, two Osuna deal, three 27 trade deadline. Okay. Yeah, I think Cole's got to be two or three for me. I think Morton's higher on mine than on yours. Okay. Um, the 2017 deadline, I mean, like, I think it's lower for me because of what they did with the Verlander trade. And say the Verlander trade goes differently and those prospects pan out and Verlander's not as amazing as he has been for the Astros. I think you probably that that would elevate the 2017 deadline non-action but inaction but um i don't know i think because verlander was such a lopsided trade and they won a world series and he won a cy young last year like i think 
I think that lowers it for me to probably fifth. And then I would say fourth is probably the service time manipulation for me. Okay. So so let me get your ranking. So your ranking is Osuna number one, five, the 2017 trade deadline. So what what is your second one? Is it Morton or is it I think Cole? it's Morton and then Cole okay. three, Cole three uh, service time four. Okay, service time four. Okay, for me, I would go, okay, again, so for me, uh, number one, Garrett Cole, two, Osuna, three, trade deadline, four, letting Morton walk, and then five, service time manipulation. Uh, let me do this. Uh, if you have listened this far into the episode, you are obviously a diehard fan of the Astros and or us, and I love feedback on stuff like this. You guys can tweet us, Facebook us, uh, because I, I love talking about things like this, like ranking things in the Don't very- Don't Facebook me. I don't use Facebook. A good point. Jake is off Facebook. Uh, you can Facebook me. I'm on me there. I just don't. I just don't use it. You, oh, you just don't use it. So it's it. So it exists, but you don't actually utilize it. Right. The picture is from like 2015. Yeah. Okay. Do you plan on updating that, or are you you're out on Facebook basically? I'm kind of out on Facebook. You're out on Facebook. Okay. Yeah, I'm out on social media to be honest with you, but you know, Twitter's Twitter. I uh, I also would say we for those who listen to the podcast on the athletic site or the athletic app, they did recently put in a comment section on the podcast. So you can actually yell at us on there, too, um, you know, which is fun. And um, if you do like the podcast and have been enjoying it, hopefully you have been um please rate and review us on Apple and uh, subscribe on Apple or Spotify. Do that. Make sure you subscribe to The Athletic. You'll get all of uh, Jake's work, obviously, and all the great work from a baseball standpoint with uh, Ken Rosenthal, Evan Drellick, who have been uh, some of the people who have been all over baseball when and if there's going to be going to be a return in 2020. All the latest updates on that. He is Jay Kaplan. I'm Mike Meltzer. This has been the latest episode of the Crawford Talks, an Astros podcast brought to you by The Athletic.